Good stuff. Mark Willem, can I have you come up here for a second? Yeah. It was great hanging out with Mark this week as he came along with us. And it was great being able to walk around New York City with a guy like this. So we're carrying our computers and stuff. We're like, I could go anywhere. Mark, would you pray for the message this morning? Lord, we just, uh, we just lift up Jason. I just pray, Father God, that you would speak through him, that everybody's uh, ears would be open and it would speak to the, their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Um, I want to uh, I want to share some things uh, this morning that I've talked about before, that we've talked about before. I don't know if this is going to be an extremely new message, but both Pastor Joshua and I uh, really felt that it was time to reiterate some things. Uh, and so uh, forgive me for some overlap. I, I always feel bad when it's like oh, I've told this story before or something. Um, but I really think uh, the Lord has something to say to us this morning. Um, I want to talk about Moses. Moses um, was an incredible man. Um, he, as a young man, I think knew he had a calling. There are stories about Moses in Jewish legend that talk about him being the most beautiful child that ever was. Um, he was obviously really talented, but he was good looking, apparently. He was smart. He was raised in Pharaoh's own palace. He was taught in Pharaoh's schools, the finest schools around. Josephus, a historian, tells us that Moses actually was a general of Pharaoh when he came of age, that he was a warrior, that he did amazing things for the king, that he was a mighty man of valor, that he was an amazing leader, all of these things. And at some point, Moses realizes who he is. He realizes his own call, what he's been uh, uh, he's been placed there, and he is a slave. He's one of these Hebrew people. And he realizes the expectations that are on him. And he decides, I no longer want to be considered an Egyptian. I want to be considered a Hebrew. And so he, he begins to sort of take up their cause. And I don't know exactly how this played out. I, I would love to have seen this play out and know exactly what happened here. He, he evidently became good friends, or he, he got to know his brother, uh, probably his sister too. Had some, some amazing conversations, and it would have been something like this Did God not put you in this place for such a time as this? Moses decides that he needs to take action, and so he steps too quickly and he makes a mistake. He makes a terrible mistake. He sees somebody getting beat up, one of his people. And uh, I'm sure they saw this kind of thing happen all the time. And the slaves would have always had to hold back and not fight back because of what might happen to the others. But Moses sees this happen and something snaps inside of him and he goes and he starts uh, uh, wailing on this Egyptian and he ends up killing him. And word very quickly gets out what this prince of Egypt has done and he flees into exile and so for many years, Moses is living here in the desert, and you have to understand who he is now. He is no longer this man of promise. He is no longer this man of skill. He is a defeated, deflated man. He's totally broken. You know what he's doing? He's, he's sheep herding. And you know, 
that happens to be, in, in, in the opinion of Egyptians, like the lowest thing that you could ever be. He's a shepherd. They would sneer at shepherds. Shepherds are dirty. Shepherds are gross. The Egyptians were clean. They would bathe all the time. They, they, they were civilized. Their whole civilization was this, this area of land that just was a very thin area of land. It just snaked up the Nile. You had a, a couple of miles along the Nile, and, and uh, uh, that was it. You had deserts on each side. So it was this miraculous thing, this Nile River, that gave birth to their civilization. So they were cosmopolitan. They were, they were wealthy because you could grow anything, man. It was like you, any kind of food you wanted. You could trade like crazy. It was amazing. Then they had these massive building projects because they had all the slave labor and they had all, all these materials right at their fingertips. It was all of this thing. But if you're a shepherd, you're way out there. You're dirty. Why would you want shepherds? And that's exactly what he's become. Years go by. And then this man, this broken, deflated man who was once so full of potential and now has nothing left, sees a glowing coming from a cave so he climbs up into the cave to see what it is. And he hears a voice telling him to take off his shoes because he's on holy ground. And he sees this bush that's burning, but it's not falling apart. Can you imagine that sight? Hair standing up on his arms. He takes off his shoes and he goes forward. And here's what the voice says to him. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Can you imagine this moment? He's probably thinking, oh, 40 years ago, this would have been great. But, but, and here's what he says. Here's the question. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Now, I don't think he was fishing for a compliment here. Have you ever felt this way, first of all, like Moses? Just, I mean, on a smaller scale, I understand. But have you ever felt this way, that the Lord just asked you to do something that was like, are you kidding me? Who am I? Have you? Yeah? Okay, good, good. Have you been in a circumstance that's just overwhelming in a bad way and you knew you weren't up to facing it? Huh? Yeah, okay. How many of you guys feel like that now? Yeah, okay. So here he is, and he's saying, this is too big for me. And he goes and he starts giving excuses, like I can't speak. Now, some people think, oh, well, come on. I'm like, he was educated in Pharaoh's best schools. That's an excuse. Well, yes and no. You see, if you're away from from the language that you spoke for that long, you might not even be able to speak it anymore. So I think he's actually saying, this is a legitimate concern. I, you want me to go before the king? I, I don't remember all that fancy talk. I'm a shepherd now. In the wilderness, I'm a Bedouin. We go from place to place. I, I don't know how to stand before a king. So God says, fine, I'll give you your brother. 
You know, Aaron might not have just been a spokesperson. He might have been a translator. So here he goes. He says, I got nothing left. Now, I want you to be thinking about something. I know I've said this before, but I, I want you to think about something. When someone is expressing that they're not up to something, sometimes the worst thing you can do is encourage them that they are. This really is too big for him, you see. I think some of us would have gone like, bro, come on, this is so you. You were made for this, dude. You're Mo, the Mo, right? Remember that? Remember that guy? He's still there, man. It's you. That's what many of us would have been tempted to do. That's what I would have been tempted to do. But here he's like, no, are you, are, are you kidding me? No, I'm not up to this. Now, it's interesting. How's God going to respond here? You see, it's great to be encouraging. Encouragement is awesome. But let's be realistic. That sometimes, maybe it's, maybe it's just in our we-can-do-it kind of bootstraps mentality that we have here. Uh, I think sometimes that goes too far. You can do this. Sometimes you just can't. Sometimes the situation is just too big. You know, I think of this personally sometimes as I've heard people make comments to me uh, or to others about, you know, dealing with our situation with my son and his autism, and, and, and I'll say, you know what? God never gives you anything you can't handle. Actually, thankfully, I haven't heard that. <laughs> but here's the thing, and I know it's said in love. It really is. Um, but here's the thing. That's actually not helpful. It really isn't. Because what that says to me is, oh, really? Because I'm falling apart here. So what's wrong with me? It also says some things about God and assuming things about him that I don't really particularly like to assume. That this is, you know, this wonderful blessing that he was trying to, to, you know what I mean? It's not particularly helpful. God never gives you. In other words, what's wrong with you? You can handle this. Just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can handle this. It's not a big deal. I think that phrase needs to go away, guys. I really do. That phrase is uh, not biblical. It's taken sort of from 1 Corinthians, um, but Paul didn't say that. What he said was God never tempts you beyond what you can bear. He's talking about sin and temptation. There's always a way out from giving into sin. He's not talking about circumstances being overwhelming. Sometimes circumstances are flat overwhelming, and it's okay to acknowledge that. In fact, we've got to start there. This whole bootstrap mentality's got to go. Here he is. Moses is not looking for a way out. Uh, 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 he's, he's not looking for a, a compliment here. I think he's really saying, look, this is too big for me, God. Who am I? Who do you think you're talking to? I'm a broken, deflated man. I messed everything up last time. And here's what God says to him. So God said, well, I'll, I'll certainly be with you. <laughs> he didn't answer his question. Who am I? And I always feel like, oh, 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 there's a misunderstanding. Uh, I'm coming with you. <laughs> what, what did you, did you, did you think I was going to let you go out there? Oh, no. Good grief. You're not up to this. <laughs> this is, I mean, dude, you're just a guy. You blew it. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> but I, I'm going with you. You see? So I, I'm going with you. So that's my answer. Do you see why that's good? Because it puts, the, it puts the, the reality of the weight of the situation back where it belongs, and that's not on his shoulders. 
The reason we can make it through has nothing to do with our own strength. In fact, if we could make it through with our own strength, I have to wonder if we're really making it through. He's the source of life. He's the source of all. I will be with you. And this becomes a mantra that God says over and over again. I'm just going to fly through some verses. Uh, He says this to Isaac. I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. He says, I am with you, Isaac. He says to Joshua, the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, be strong and courageous, for you shall bring people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. He says it over and over. He says it to Gideon, the, wussest, the biggest wuss in all of Israel. Gideon said, behold, please, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord says to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians as one man. Uh, to Isaiah and Israel, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Not because you're so tall and so strong and you can somehow keep your head above water, but because I'm with you. That's why you're not going to be overwhelmed. Jeremiah, do not say I'm only a youth. For all to whom I send, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of you. For I am with you to deliver them, declares the Lord. Deliver you. Jesus says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the days. He says to the Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never, never. That's a double emphatic negative there of I will never. It won't happen, not gonna happen. I'm with you. That's why Jesus is to his disciples. Don't be don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't so, I uh, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be, because that was his whole point in coming, so that we could be with him. Are you starting to see a, something here? You're starting to see a theme that we're bringing out. Finally, Gabriel says to Mary, Behold, a virgin shall, or uh, this is a prophecy beforehand, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted means. You're not up to this. You are not. Isn't that good? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not up to this. You're not. (laughs) Moses learns this lesson, and he learns it well. He goes to Pharaoh having nothing to say except what God's told him to say. He has a stick. That's what he has. <laughs> Which I think is so awesome. And he's like, they're too scared even to raise it. He's like, Aaron, you raise it. I don't know what's going to happen. Someone thinks I saw in that cave. I don't know. So he starts raising the stick and things start happening. The lifeblood of the Nile. The, the, the Nile's the lifeblood of Egypt. It actually turns to blood. People start freaking out. One by one, he starts lifting this stick, and God does things over and over. Is it Moses? It's not Moses, it's God. And one by one, he watches Pharaoh get taken down, another notch, another notch. And he, starts, he says this, how we'll judge the gods of Egypt. 
Each one of these plagues was directed at the deities that they worshipped. And he sees that God is greater. God is greater than anything they worshipped in Egypt. God is greater than this man who puts him out, uh, up as God. And Moses, the little washout, is sitting here holding the stick and going, oh my goodness, he's with me. He just tells me what to do. I lift this thing and he does stuff. He's like with me. Because I, I, I don't know how to do that. I, I, don't, I don't know how to make like, locusts fly in. I, I can't do it. I've tried it with other sticks over and over again. Only, only works with this one when he tells me to. It's crazy. He learns the lesson. And the impossible happens. Pharaoh lets his people go. Pharaoh changes his mind again. So he does something else. As the chariots are rolling through and Israel doesn't have an army, he lifts up the stick again. And what happens? Well, the sea actually stands up and lets him through. Amazing. He has seen the power of God. He has seen the glory of God. He knows that God is with him. They go to the mountain of God. And he's, the whole time they're being led by his presence. Because he says, I am with you. And he means it. There's a cloud by day. There's fire by night. Because he's showing them, I'm with you. And just in case it wasn't clear enough, they go to the mountain of God. And fire descends on the mountain. And that's the presence of God. I am with you. Do you see what God's trying to show him? Moses goes up. And he meets with God. And something terrible happens as he is hanging out for a long time and loses track of time. His notifications weren't working because he was out of cell range. <laughs> He's enjoying the presence of God. And the people start freaking out. And they build a golden calf and they start dancing around it. And Aaron, oh Aaron, oh Aaron, says, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. And they all start worshiping him. Moses comes down and is furious furious. And you know what? God's furious too. Then they share this exchange. And watch this exchange. The Lord said to Moses, depart. There's been, he, he gives punishment to the people, and then they have this conversation. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To your descend, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way for your stiff-necked people. I'll I'll make your dreams come true. I'll make all these people's dreams come true. This is what you're praying for. You want a land of your own. You want it out of slavery. You want milk and honey. You want security. And if that's all you want, fine, you can have it. Look at Moses' response. And he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. 
I do think this was a test. Moses, here's the thing. You have all these big things that come up before you, and your people have all these big things that come up before you, but it seems like every time there's any kind of crisis, great or small, everybody starts to panic, and they start to freak out, and they just want that thing out of here, and they completely lose all their faith because it's like, please change the circumstance, God, just change the circumstance. What are we going to do? There's no meat. We have to eat the same thing every day. Change the circumstance. Change the circumstance. So God changes the circumstance. And they go, oh, good. We haven't drank in how many hours? Change the circumstance. Change the circumstance. So many times, over and over again. So God says, fine. I will let you go, and I'll send my angel. Man, he'll just he'll clear a path for you if that's what you want, but I'm going to stay here. Moses says, no, sir. No, sir. I can't let that happen because you're the God who's with me. And it's only because you're with me that we made it this far. And you wanted to draw near to us. God, I'm not going. If your presence isn't going with us, then I'm not going. I won't do it. How then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? And he said to him, if your presence doesn't go up, don't bring us up from here. Don't do it. And the last slide didn't come up for some reason. So the Lord says to him, okay, I'll go with you. I'll go with you, Moses. You know what gets to me, guys, about this story? Is I feel like, I feel like this speaks to where our society's at and where we can be at as the church. Or maybe I'll just say where I can be at sometimes. Because sometimes there's a circumstance and I go, change the circumstance, Lord, change the circumstance. One of the hardest things about living in the United States is this. We can go on and we can live from day to day, week to week, even month to month, without ever feeling like we need him. Do you know what I mean? We can put food on the table and um, we can even have, you know, stocked up for three, six months. We got plenty of food. We never have to think about that. Or when we do, there's always fallbacks. There's always a way that we can still be provided for. We don't get so desperate like other people have to. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I don't want to live in, in, in the slums. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't want that. But sometimes I wonder if it might be easier to trust God if you're in those places of destitution because you're always aware of your need for him. And I go through seasons when I forget how much I need him. And I forget to ask him to be with me and I forget to pursue his presence because there's, well, there happens to be this big obstacle in my way. There happens to be a circumstance. So I say, Lord, change the circumstance, change the circumstance. So he comes in and changes the circumstance. And I go, whew, life is good, isn't it? And I move on. And another crisis comes. And I go, Lord, there's a crisis. Fix the crisis, fix the crisis. And here God offered Moses a chance I'll, I'll remove all the obstacles if you want. I'll, I'll clear the table. I'll make it nice and easy for you. What would you say to that? 
And Moses says, not unless you come with us. And I think this is a challenge for us today. Here's my question for you. In the circumstances we face that are too big for us, is your faith in the circumstance changing or is your faith in his presence? Do you see the difference? You can say, I need this thing to be removed or else I can't move forward. But if you do that, there's gonna be another one and there's gonna be another one and there's gonna be another one because in this world we have troubles. There's a whole bunch of circumstances Sometimes big opportunities like Moses had in the beginning or sometimes impossible things that are weighing on you that say, this is too big for me. You can either ask him to just knock it off of you, to pull it off, or you can say, Lord, come with me. Help me to carry this thing. Help me to come through this thing. And there's a difference because he wants to be with you. That's what he wants more than anything else that's been his promise. I will be with you. I will walk beside you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. But i got to confess, in these circumstances, so often I forget that piece of it. And I say, Lord, I just want to be done with this thing. We're never going to be done with the things, though. We're never going to be done with the things. If you're waiting for that day when everything falls into place, you're going to have to wait until he comes back, guys. You just are. There are going to be still troubles. There's still going to be heartaches. There's still going to be disease. There's still going to be death until he comes back. He started the process of rolling these things back, but we're still in the process of restoration. Our bodies, our relationships, all of these things. If, if your faith is in that thing getting changed, then your faith is a very short-lived faith, and it's a very fragile faith, and it doesn't have to be that fragile. But if your faith is in him, that changes everything. Because you're acknowledging, I can't do this. I need you to be with me. And if you're with me, I'm pretty sure we can go through anything. Not that it's not going to hurt, because it will. But he's going to be there, and I promise you it's different. Do you see the difference? Is your faith in circumstances changing, or is it in the presence of God? This has been a... Um, a difficult message to prepare because uh, uh, we've been going through a rough time lately. Um, and I know some of you have too. I've talked to many of you who are going through really difficult things that are just simply too big for you. And I want to encourage you, first and foremost, what I said earlier, it is too big for you and that's okay. So call out to him. Call out to your brothers and sisters too. Because you're not meant to carry anything by yourself. That's suicide. Don't do that. You will get crushed. You will if you try it by yourself. So I know everybody has different things they're dealing with. The thing that we've been dealing with lately with my son Jack is uh, a change that we've never seen before. Um, and that's uh, with uh, some self-injury. Um... um it's, uh, it's shaken me up, uh, shaken all of us up more. We haven't been sure what to do with it because he'll, uh, he'll get upset and um, not know. We don't know what's wrong. We're trying to ask. We're trying to get words out of him. He can't tell us. He gets more and more upset, so he'll throw himself on the ground or against the wall and start banging his head or start punching himself. Or, um, so this is new. This has only happened in the last couple of months and uh, particularly the last few weeks. 
Uh, I've been trying to figure out how to pray. Um, I'm just gonna read. I'm just gonna read this. I was on the plane yesterday, and I just decided to write a letter to God. Um, and you guys know I believe. Let's just be transparent and open with where we're at. And uh, sometimes my faith is weak, and I'm just trying to figure out, Lord, how do I walk through this? So I'm just going to read this, so just bear with me. It's kind of awkward, I know. Forgive me. Dear Father, you know that I've tried to pray for my son, but I, I can't complete a single sentence. My words run out, and I resort to a weak, babbling, oh God, oh God, that fades out when something shiny distracts me. Sorry about that. You deserve better, I know. Sometimes when I can't figure out what to say, I have to start writing and let my fingers help me sort it all out. So I'm trying that right now as I fly home from New York. Oh God, I'm so confused. My words have run out because I don't know how to pray for Jack anymore. Shortly after his diagnosis, it was an easy and obvious prayer, Lord, please heal my son. But then I started to learn things about this thing we call autism, and the more I learned, the more I became aware of my own ignorance. I grow more ignorant all the time. I've learned that autism isn't a disease, but it's something else. I, I, don't want, I don't know what the something else is. In some sense, it's a part of him. Some say an integral part of his identity. Is that true? I think I would be okay with that, I think, if he was just different. Really, I think I would. But you've seen us the past few weeks. You've seen us installing the new alarm on our door to keep him from wandering. You've seen the black bike helmet we've been strapping onto his head to keep him from hurting himself during his meltdowns. And you see the bruises he gave himself at school on Wednesday. They couldn't get the helmet on quickly enough. When I saw them on FaceTime, I knew exactly what had happened, and it tore me up. This is new territory, God. I'm afraid, and I'm not okay with any of it. Jack isn't just a quirky kid whose mind works in an, its own exciting way. I could accept quirky, but this, something is wrong. Something inside of him is not working the way you designed it to work. He doesn't have the words to tell us what troubles him, but whatever it is, it's so extreme that he's decided the best way to deal with his frustration is to injure himself. Paul, can you come? Dear God, this is not the way you designed him, is it? To live with unbearable frustration that turns to pain? Is that part of his identity that you've planned for him? Because I'll be honest, if it is, I just don't know how to deal with that. I've always believed the world is broken, that you didn't break it, that you're the great restorer, that your son came to make all things new. This has been my conclusion after years of study and thought, but I have to admit, I'm biased on this point because I desperately want to believe it. I need to believe that you're truly holy good, that you don't desire innocent children to live frantic and bruised, that you don't lock up a boy's future behind impaired speech centers in the brain. I don't know how to help my son, and I don't know how to pray. I can't just pray heal my son because I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't know what anything means. So I won't pray anything too bold for now. Instead, I'll just remind you that your name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Come close, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace. Draw near to my son and give him rest. Amen. I don't know what the answer to our problems are, guys. But I know that it's found in him. It's not found in the change of circumstances. It's only found in him. And I want to be like Moses, who after all these things happened, says, I'm not going to go without your presence. In fact, he went a step further and said, Lord, show me your glory. I just want to be immersed in your glory. I want to be immersed in your goodness and, and, and see all that you are, because I know that's my only hope. That's my only hope. 
I want to see his glory. I need more of his presence. I want him to be with me and be with my son and feel his presence like he never has.